What is up, everyone? My name is Adnan Shafi, and once again, we're here with Pariah Nation. Uh, this is a new season. We're going to be delving into a few different topics, but this is also going to be a podcast that is um, more of a personal podcast, I'd say, and it's, we're going to be focusing on a specific story, and we're going to be dealing with racism here in Cardiff, actually, and we have a very special guest with us. Jessica, would you like to tell us a bit more about yourself, where you come from, and what you do as well? Hi, thank you for having me. Hi everyone, I'm Jessica Dunrod. I'm born and raised here in Cardiff. Um, my dad was born in St Kitts and Nevis and I'm very much a Kittitian and a Welsh woman at the same time. I study an MA at Cardiff University where I serve as um, the co-chair of the Race Equality Steering Group and I'm a director of Ambassadora Translations and also Lily Translates and an author of I'm the author of Your Hair is Your Crown and Outstanding, which I wrote to counteract unconscious bias. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I'm glad that you're doing a lot of work in relation to unconscious bias and also fighting racism. Uh, but it's also quite shocking that, I mean, it's not even shocking, I'd say, because of, you know, the way things are nowadays. Uh, but you yourself have actually experienced uh, a bit of racism and, uh, it's, uh, it's to do with your school. So that's what we're going to mainly talk about today. And perhaps I'll just ask you to, to perhaps give us a short summary before we start delving into the deeper issues and perhaps reflect a bit more on the, the racial uh, dynamics that are happening within this case. So let's hear from you first. What, what exactly happened and uh, uh, how long has this been happening for and what's going to happen now? Oh, I'm not sure if I can make a short, this is such a long story short, but it's been going on for about two years. Um, what started as me trying to access a full diagnosis for my son's disabilities and they mishandling the paperwork. I tried to raise that complaint, how could you mishandle this? And for so long, a year, I was never able to raise that complaint because they would prefer to profile me as the angry black woman and aggressive, despite me relating to them on, on an academic level, sending them resources and links to why this language is laced with racist undertones I was still prevented from making that complaint and she would tell me the head teacher this is the head teacher of a school which is 85 percent babe I don't like the word but global majority students so being profiled in a way you know just to protect their own reputation was quite bad and um, it led to complaints committee it, it had resolutions or I thought were but Recently, they've rang social services on me is another scare tactic. So now my son starts a new school tomorrow. Gosh, that's a lot to, to unpack. And uh, I can definitely see, see that trope being sort of pulled around of like, you know, all the angry black woman. And I think that especially after last year, I'm glad at least that uh, after the, all the protests and everything, people were more or less willing to at least uh, lend an ear to black people and especially when we're, we're talking about racism but there's still people within the community that somewhat think that the moment that a black person speaks up about mistreatment that's in relation to race that they're automatically victimizing themselves or like they gaslight you by calling you for example an angry black woman so I'm curious about a, a bit more about that that letter that they sent you back. Um, what sort of language was used over here that suggested that, you know, it could have been racist, you know? Um, this was not in letters. It was in letters afterwards because they had a whole campaign when they realized I was going to 
be represented by race equality first. So it was just, oh, you're being very aggressive now. Because they had asked me to, oh, I didn't know you had invisible disabilities, despite me already declaring them several times. I don't have to tell them again. They just need to appropriate how they speak with me. And then just, oh, you're being aggressive and all of this. Okay, fine. I didn't even bother because, you know, if that's what I get for raising a complaint, what's the point? But I did share them articles, you know, just so you know, this is a thing. I'm not just saying, calling racism. This is a racist. I'm taking this as a racist issue. After George Floyd, because this was um, a year, basically they were supposed to send the paperwork off. A year later, I checked up the doctors to, to see, you know, where are we on the waiting list for my son's diagnosis and all of this. And no paperwork had been referred. So when I asked, you know, we've been a we've been a year on a waiting list that could be three years what's going on and that's what led to that complaint being attempted to be made but never being raised the pandemic hit the first day back where they allowed kids to go back to school last year in June I was very happy so I was like okay you know in light of uh, George Floyd you know there's stuff going on and the pandemic is going to add longer to my son's waiting list can you take my complaint seriously now and raise this and this was this was the moment where it was the head teacher, me, I would be joined with other teachers. So I'm outnumbered and I'm there like, look, what is it? Can you even admit there's something going on? What is it about me that that you find threatening? Is it the way I am, the way I talk? She was, yes, the way you are, the way you are. Basically, I was, well, the way I am and the way I talk is not going to change. What you feel here is white fragility. And she was, oh, you're calling me a racist. Like, no, I'm not calling you a racist. I asked the teachers present, would they be a witness for this meeting, which wouldn't happen? Because, and I even tried to relate to her, like, look, I am half white, okay? I've grown up, only now George Floyd, I'm wearing my hair curly, and I'm trying to accept that I've been grown up to think that this is not good hair, and it's not that I'm racist, it's just the world around us. I've tried to relate to this woman on an academic level with the uh, white fragility by Dr. D'Angelo and then uh, post-traumatic slave disorder by Dr. DeGruy. I think I'm saying the name right. She didn't want to read. She didn't want to hear this. None of this. This was in June. October, they wouldn't give me the meeting um, that was supposed to happen the following Tuesday because they knew. They knew I was going to raise this. I raised a, a grievance letter, gave them 14 days to reply no response, some holidays now, we don't need to. Um, waited and waited and waited. I finally had a meeting with them, um, but they were gonna bring the head teacher and the woman who's misconstruing all the dates and facts in the letters going back and forth. And I said, this is not an accessible complaints procedure for someone who's dyslexic with all these disabilities. I need to speak to somebody face to face. And the solution to this problem is not putting me back in the room with the woman who's mistreated me, my, persecuted basically and a woman who's not impartial they kept cancelling the meeting and whatever but the day before I was like no I didn't cancel the meeting let's get in voice message a solicitor can I record this meeting because that you know I've had to cancel you so many times yeah you can record the meeting finally got into this meeting in October last year um maybe November where I aired all this out and I had them powering me off because before this they had gone to the council saying that my behavior on school grounds was inappropriate despite never making any of these claims in the emails despite not and, and actually Mr Tate in in Cardiff Council didn't investigate and sent a very accusational letter to me which led me to log the first hate incidents against the school with the police the first one um, I already had a letter from Welsh government because I went to them dated the 4th of 
August 2020 saying like this is horrendous if they don't deal with this come back to us I thought I was going to deal with this with this meeting so I got in the meeting recorded it and they were trying to par off responsibility like no we're not the ones supposed to be sending off the paperwork it's you and it gets down to it like look I'm coming to you as a victim of racism this is not a debate and then the head teacher who is the same woman who is my issue a victim of racism ha and then, you know, they shut the meeting down because I was like, yeah, victim of racism, you know, you, you can laugh all you like. I'm recording this meeting. She's taking minutes and write that down because none of you two are, are, are impartial and they shut the meeting down. So when I, oh no, sorry, I've mixed the dates. So when I left that meeting, thinking, oh great, we're gonna have a complaints committee. Four days after that recorded meeting was when I got the letter from Cardiff Council saying your behavior on school grounds has been inappropriate that accusational letter without any research into this, what would be two years now of victimization case. So that made me furious, but we finally had the complaints committee um, if, about a month ago now. Um, I thought, cause they were like, if you go to the complaints committee, you're not allowed to bring up anything in the grievance letter. And I was like, how are we supposed, the, the, the objective of the complaints committee, sorry, is to find solutions to the problems you've raised. And I said, well, how am I supposed to go to a meeting to find solutions, which is your job, not mine, to problems that you also don't acknowledge exist, but also you don't let me use my grievance letter, which is the reason why we're having this meeting, to use as a source of reference. This doesn't make sense. But in the end, I thought, okay, let's just be quiet now, because if I write another email, this complaints committee is not going to happen. I thought I aired everything out in the complaints committee because it is clear that they've had a campaign go against me saying that I'm an aggressive, angry black woman and all of this. Please confirm it. Please confirm it. Um, and I think they pretty much thought they wouldn't let me record the meeting either, either, which was a shame. And the meeting ended with me asking, you know, I feel like I've been heard now, but do you do realize that in a room full of six, I'm the only woman of color. Oh, 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 well, we do, we do have, uh, we do have school governors which are of color. Where are they? Because I'm hearing this. I don't know if you can relate to me. Um, the resolution to the complaints committee still tried, still tried to basically make out that I'm an aggressive, and I my behavior was this, despite realizing that I had justified complaints based on my race, based on my disabilities. They dis, they discriminated against me on all the ways they could. All of those features are the ones my son inherited. My race, my disabilities. He's probably got a bit more disabilities, which is why I'm turning gray, trying to fight them. Um, they gave me five out of six of my recommendations. Unconscious bias training, interpreters and translators when speaking because my son's getting bullied severely because they're not putting in the, the necessary requirements to protect a son, a, a child with such social issues, let's say complications and a, a lot of these things. But the only one they did not want to grant me was an apology. So I thought, okay, that's fine. The race equality first were like, okay, I'd accept these recommendations, you know, case closed. And I'm not happy. They're still calling me an aggressive. I'm not aggressive, I'm an academic. I'm passionate, but I have these disabilities. And despite you putting this, I can't have a meltdown because you're going to think everyone with dyspraxia is like this. I can't like raise my voice because you're going to think every black woman is like this. I've like sat there just sweating and just staying cool, monotone. And I'm still labeled like this. Why? Using the example of 
I've seen a white woman because her kid bullies my kid. Effing and blinding in a man's face. Yeah, I'm threatening you. This woman was upset. Oh, yeah. This man's just a bit set, upset. But me coming there to ask questions like, why are you not enforcing your anti-bullying policies? I'm an aggressive black woman. But remember this, this, this encounter that we had on the school ground where she was like, I find you threatening, was from two meters apart because we are in a pandemic. This meeting that we had in the room where they sent the accusation, which is recorded, was also from meters apart underneath a mask, two meters apart. How do I have a chance? to be aggressive. You find me a threat without me ever even making an, a, a gesture with my body that I'm a threat. So I accepted those recommendations. I, and one of the recommendations was also to mend the breakdown in communication with the school because I couldn't go to the school without them hounding me, making a defense statement about why my son got hit that day and, and, and why it wasn't their fault that they didn't protect them. So um, the last meeting I had was about a week and a half ago where they said, oh, you know, Marley's been in a bit of a scuffle. Marley's an only child. He doesn't get into scuffles. He doesn't fight. Basically, Marley moved a boy's hand out the way and then the boy decided to fight him back. But my son's got dyspraxia. It's spatial awareness. He'll speak to you like this. You know, he's got the disabilities just because of space and where he is positioning that was completely avoidable. I said, why are you not enforcing your anti-bullying policies? And that same afternoon, I'd also got a, 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 a phone call from the doctor saying, if he complains about his stomach pains, take him to A&E, tell his school to do that also. So on the same afternoon, I tried to report this. And I said, look, the reason why he shouldn't get into these scuffles, he shouldn't get hit in the stomach because they know about his previous surgeries. The teacher walked away. So then I was like, I had to shout it because the head teacher was there, the ones, you know, and telling them what this was. You know, this is an emergency. I'm reporting this. I'll put it in writing. I'll put it in writing. Oh, can we get a letter from, from the doctors? They don't need this. But in my initial in writing, I said, Dr. Davis from Cotay Surgery has advised you this. Okay. And this is where they phoned social services because I stood there. I was like, you are supposed to be amending the breakdown in communication. If I had autism, you wouldn't walk away from me. You can't walk away from someone. You're supposed to be the support service. I'm trying to report an emergency change in status of my son's medical situation. And it, it's gone so bad that I can't even report these things to them. And from that encounter where they came to me, told me about this, they went to social services who rang me saying, um, we're very worried that you started an argument in front of your son which was not true. They walked up to me and started a discussion, which I asked them, why are you not preventing these instances and stuff like this? And once the uh, social services understood that this was just a two year long victimization case, case closed, but I received a text, me a text message from um, uh, an unknown woman congratulating me on my book saying, I've seen your story because I did start having a rant about a month ago. After two years, I finally like, I've had enough. Um, saying, I find it very interesting because this school, this is the fourth time I've heard this from your school, that they phoned social services to push some sort of narrative. And that's when, because I was just going to leave this, oh, social services, I got to get out of that school. But now actually that mum's messaged me. And now I've CC'd in the school, Eston, South Wales Police. I've logged that now as a hate incident with phoning social services based on this. And I hope that someone will listen. I'm not being quiet now because 
this is a head teacher of a school with a deputy head supporting her, who the deputy head would stand there and stay neutral when I'm saying, you need unconscious bias training. No, I don't. No, I don't need it. Yes, you do. It's unconscious bias training. That's the point. Did you read the resources? No, I didn't read the resources. I don't need to read it. But you're an educator. We're going back around in circles. And this head, this, this woman stayed silent. And I told her, you're saying neutrons. Oh, I'm just about to tear on. I trying to be all nice. But it's like, well, stand up for logic, at least. If you don't want to stand up for me, stand up for logic. We know what uh, like subconscious means, don't we? Let's go from that. Um, and it never, it never has. So my son's starting a new school tomorrow based on based on this experience. Sorry, it's long-winded, but it's two years compacted into this. Yeah, that was, wow, that's a lot. And I think there's a lot that I just want to perhaps touch on, right? I want to first touch on the clear, um, you know, unequal standards that they have for that white woman who was cussing and, you know, shouting and, you know, being blatantly aggressive. And then you have you, an academic, talking about something like racism, a sensitive issue and sending them works, at least being constructive. I don't think that those are characteristics of an aggressive person or someone who's acting irrationally. So why would it be that they would term you as aggressive and not the white woman? And this is, as you said, like, you know, it's social distancing. It's like, what are you going to do? You're, you can't even reach out your hand and slap someone, right? So it's like, why are you feeling intimidated? And it even goes, it, it's even a stronger evidence for them needing unconscious bias because it, sh- it shows that you're not scared of the people who are aggressive. You're scared of black women and black men, right? And this is something that's subconscious, right? Because of this imagery that you've been bombarded with through the media, through history books, etc. And obviously, you know, this idea of black women being stronger and like, you know, the, the whole mommy sort of caricature, etc. And you're telling me that you, you, you expect that that's not going to somewhat seep into your curriculum, the way you behave. This is exactly why we need unconscious bias. And I'm so, so surprised that they didn't treat those two situations the same. And even just to perhaps um, add on to that, it's like as a last resort, it's like an attack on the black family. It's like, you know, it's like, oh, that, that family must be dysfunctional, right? Because, you know, this aggressive black woman, her son is not safe in her hands. It's like, what about the school? It's like, you've been told specifically that you need to take care of this child and there needs to be certain things you're doing. And then you're not doing that. And then they, they, they go towards social services and they've reported you to the council for being inappropriate. Out of curiosity, though, I wanted to ask, what happened to that woman? Was she reported to the council for inappropriate behavior on school grounds? I've tried, no, I've only been able to log hate incidents, but they don't even see it as, like when I tell them I'm coming to you as a victim of racism, they have a duty to believe me because that's what the law says. But when I've got string of evidence, say emails, they're fobbing me off, they don't answer questions. This woman is used to getting into arguments with five-year-olds and winning, but now they're like, I've seen it. Every parent that's come to the school who is either a doctor or studying a PhD have removed their kids straight out of it because they could communicate. There are some kids when my son's going, the parents there, they don't even speak English. So they don't even know what the options are of where there's another school or is this normal? This might just be the way it is. Let's just get on with it. And it shouldn't be, which is why I kind of fought for interpreters and translators in that sense. Um, but Gladstone Primary School, I did say, look, I'm, I'm 
because they did try to affiliate me with the Black Lives Matter as well. And I was like, listen, I am not. They did. I was like, I'm Cardiff University Race Equality Steering Group. I am not Black Lives Matter. So do not do not try to do that because I will start protesting outside your school saying Gladstone is a, is a slave owner, you know, because he yeah. was. But that's a later issue. I need to get my son access to services and education before I even bother thinking about that. But I could have. But to, to try and attach me to that because my life mattered before is just they didn't see it. Mm. And you know what I find interesting about that is that the they're deliberately and this is this is classic subconscious racist behavior and like i'm sorry if you if you if you're doing this and you really don't see what it's doing to other people and other black people around you then you need to check yourself right and you perhaps need to do you need to read some literature surrounding white fragility and all these different things because for them to try and associate you to blm associate you with blm what they're trying to actually say is that you're you're violent and obviously, like, you know, the media themselves, we saw it when, uh, obviously, I mean, you must be uh, familiar with the case of Mahmoud Hassan, right? And the fact that people were protesting around, I mean, outside the South Wales Police Department. And, you know, they put on the, the cover, I believe it was, I can't remember, it was Wales Online, uh, the news. They put on the cover, this man with a hood over his head, and he had a cigarette, and then he was pointing the middle finger or something like that. Right. So this is already how the the portraying Black Lives Matter. So it it proves two things. One, that they actually saw BLM as this inherently violent institution, even though we know that in places like the US, right, there's been less than 7% of the protests have turned violent. Right. But then now you have them using this this trope of, you know, black people are violent and they're trying to apply it to you. And it's, it's so, so sad. Could you tell me a bit more about how they tried to link it? Like, what did they say about, uh, how did they try to link you to BLM? Oh, it was just in the letters, like, oh, what was it? It was like a phrase where BLM was put in there where it shouldn't have. Like, I understand that you're working with or that you advocate for. Or something weird where it was like, what is this? I'm not affiliated to this. I'll have to look into the paperwork again. But I did have to reiterate, like, no, I'm Cardiff University. I am not, this is where I'm, I've offered them resources. Like, look, we are a service to the university that decolonizes the curriculum and makes suggestions on policies. Would you like some help? No, and now (laughs) I've just launched, I'm representing IECC, which stands for Inclusive Educational Curriculum Consultancy, which provides the representation in every subject. And we'll be working on the black Welsh history textbook with Abu Bakr Madan al-Shabazz. They've got a resource here. They would pref- like, I could have helped me. They could have had my resources for free as a testimony. I'm going around all the schools working with this, but they find me a threat. And it's going to like, if they carry on like this, it's like my mum's a foster carer. You can't say I'm dangerous to have around kids. I won't be allowed to visit my mum. I won't be allowed to go to the schools to provide the necessary resources and you're attempting to take my child off me knowing that my son doesn't know his father. We are a household of two, me and my son. It's just the the lengths that they're willing to go to to not be better. It's amazing. And, and it's not just a head teacher now. We have to think about the chair of governors who are in that room because one of the chair of governors was a head teacher of Kate's high school. So when I thought mm. that he heard me, 
He clearly didn't. He had a moment there to say, look, we need to stop this hate campaign, this aggressive campaign. We've made mistakes. You've made mistakes. And he did say, point out they were failing before. If we just jam in some of those, yeah, you're a bit like this, this and that, then we should be all right. I'm ready to release my footage. It was that aggressive because I've asked for CCTV footage from the encounters. And first of all, oh, we haven't we haven't got any because of the scaffolding. So, well, I need I need oh. CCTV. What about my kid? He's in school with you. Uh, uh, don't answer that. And then it was, mm. oh, we wipe it after three months. It's are, are our kids safe? But when it comes to a point of I have to fight for them to update my son's medical records. And then when I do, I get social services called on me. Gosh. There is an issue. <laughs> I mean, how can you try and weaponize social services? And I mean, we can clearly see it. And I mean, we're going to even talk about, I mean, I might as well just start off with this, but uh, perhaps it's even linked to, you know, the fact that the school probably hasn't reckoned with its own history. If it's Gladstone or whatever, right? The guy was a slave trader, right? It's, it's obvious that the school is going to dance around that narrative. And that's already, as you said, you're, you're someone who, like, you know, you consult with people and how to actually shape their curriculum. Have they, in any, at any point in their history, uh, dealt with that narrative of, you know, the slave owner? Have they ever dealt with that directly or, like, mentioned it at all? Or is it something that they're trying to sweep under the rug? They haven't mentioned it. They've not put out a single statement for Black Lives Matter. Um, the only time was mentioned when I brought it up and it was like, you know, it's labor. I'm not here having a rant saying like you should change the name, although that's coming. And then like, and but I I always put things to them as a business point of view. You know, it would serve you well. You are 85% global majority students. You could be leading inclusive and diversity. You could be the one that changes it. You can call it Hope Primary School. You could do that. Why aren't you? You know, I always try to package mm. it for them nicely. They'd rather not. They'd rather not. And I think what's what what's what's perhaps even more telling is that you as an educated black woman, that is probably what seems intimidating to them. It's your knowledge and the fact that you're willing to unapologetically unapologetically, you know, present that knowledge as fact, as what it is. It's a fact, right? Mm -hmm. And when they encounter that as well, that interacts with their white fragility and it puts them in a position where they feel somewhat inferior to you. And that's why they feel like, you know, this is, this, is, this is behavior of desperate people, right? I mean, calling social services. And this is something that they've, they've done numerous times, right? And we can, we can obviously estimate that, you know, since it's 85% uh, global uh, majority, you know, students, right? Um, that <laughs> this might even be something that's racially charged. That's one, one thing that I'm, I'm willing to speculate on, but I'm not definite about it. But it's obviously, you know, it's, it's in that subconscious realm, as, as we've mentioned, right? But it's one thing that we need to also like, you know, just look into a bit deeper and like, you know, the structures of the school. But I wanted to ask, perhaps, are you the only person that has brought forward a claim in terms of racism? Or is this something that the school has refused time and time again to deal with? I've noticed that my son started this school and he had, uh, there were black kids in his class. They've gone. Mm. Um, I'm mindful. And I did say, this is bullying is getting to a point now where it's white kids against this black boy, my son, because mm. the rest of them are gone. You sort it out because I will be putting that card, as you say, because I know they mm -hmm. call it a card. But at the mm. end of the day, it's going to be like this at some point. 
sorry what was the question again yeah i'm <laughs> no, just asking if if there's been any other people that have brought any claims or just suggested that there's any uh, right. what's happening it's been cultural say marley's best friend i won't name it but the mum is muslim and she's like what do you think about this the whole you know the girl running around kissing people my boy is now about to become nine years old we need to start teaching him to be you know that marriage is not something frivolous that you do in the playground and i want these values to be put in and i don't want this girl kissing my son and also my son's coming home from school saying i don't want it to be kissed by this girl we're just friends you know it's quite cute hearing the story but actually um with where we are in this space now because of what's happened recently, actually, if a boy kissed a girl and kept doing that, they'd be hounding in on this behavior. Mm. But because it was a Muslim mum worried about a white daughter and, and the, even the dad was there like trying to vent at me thinking I don't have Muslim family. Like, oh, you know what it is? Just they're trying to enforce their things like this. Like, listen, I haven't got a daughter, but I don't want my, my daughter running around kissing people. And I also don't want my son to think that you know, because I'm a single mom, I want my son to value marriage. And I hope that when he gets mm. into a marriage, he will want to stay with it. So these are mm. things that you learn in primary school. And she sent letters. She had PhD. She's on like post PhD studies in Cardiff oh, University. Wow. She's out of that school now. It, it doesn't mm. get anywhere. You raise a complaint. They don't go anywhere. Oh, no, 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 no. You're just being this, this and that. And they're just not helpful because also these people that are in the school, Sometimes they're children of refugees. Sometimes they're people who are just coming in from the city or they're PhD students who are actually quite high profile people. And then this is the taste of Cardiff that they get, this uneducated, ignorant school. When I visited other schools because of my work recently and there are some fantastic forward moving schools out there. I've seen them. That's why they've invited me to their school. Um, so it's just, this is a bad school a bad management and there are governors willing to back them up I don't know what they're trying to do it's not for the benefit of our children yeah 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 and it's uh, even just going back to the idea of a complaint somewhat being hateful I mean why why is that the first thing that we talk about and as well I mean I'm just kind of you know relating it to that example of that white woman because you've given me an excellent you know way to compare and like, I feel like it's like white women in general uh, have been infantilized. And it's like, you know, it's sort of like, you know, oh, poor white women. You know, if a white woman comes together, you have to comfort her, you know, but if it's a black woman, it's like, oh, she must be crazy, you know, gaslight. That's the instant, like, you know, it's just gaslighter. That's the only instinct that they have, right? Which is quite unfortunate. And it just, again, it stands, I mean, these uh, unconscious bias training, et cetera, um, it is something useful that'll allow people to be able to see past that and at least be able to just go into classrooms and know the politics of their presence as a white person or as a black person or if they're teaching a black student, etc. Because it does matter. I mean, people can't act as if, you know, racism ended, you know, 50 years ago uh, when this and that happened. It's like, that's not exactly what happened, right? And even just to perhaps um, ask a bit of a larger question, you've talked about unconscious bias training with the head teacher. They've rejected it. Right. I think those are those are cases. Oh no, no, no. They accepted it. They oh, accepted sorry, yeah. five out of six of the recommendations. The only one they rejected was the apology. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So even they weren't really like willing to accept that they had actually done wrong after they called social services on you and tried to dispossess you of your child. Totally nothing wrong, right? Apparently for them. So so sad. So so sad. 
sorry to tell my yeah. son. Um, yeah. yeah, the lengths that they're willing to go to. But actually now I've told social services, can you confirm that you've had three phone calls? You've had to give at least three other children, parents of ring and it's been, it's gone nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we like, there needs to be somebody out there who's logging it. This is a waste of resources. Sorry, yeah. but there are actually kids who need child services. And if you're spending your time investigating me, finding my details and finding out what's going on, and then there's, you know, not so long, about six months ago, a boy was killed in his house just down the road next door mm-hmm. to that school, which should have been a support unit. Instead, they see it as, I can't tell that school. It's a shield. You know, it's, it's, it's becoming toxic to our community and that story wasn't even in the news mm. so that's yeah so i mean at least i'd say at least they've accepted that you know unconscious bias training uh has to be something that's done but again you also mentioned you know representation uh in you know higher positions of power and that when you went to the committee i believe that you're the only person of color in the room and like, you know, just just for people who, who are not exactly black, just describe to them how exactly that feels when you're bringing a case forward about racism and then you're the only person of color in that room. How did that make you feel? Oh my God, here goes a waste of an hour and a half. Like these guys, it's like you're talking French to them and they only know German. It's... Hmm. You don't know, but okay, fine, because they wouldn't let me record it either. So they can't go back for terms and references. Got to trust their minutes, but the important points that are made, it's, I'm not, I did say, look, I'm mindful that you might hear me, like you might listen, but do you actually hear me? Mm. And the fact that they were even stupid enough to show up with that sort of team, knowing what this is, like, and I did say, well, maybe this is a room where you can improve next time. If you know it's specifically race related, you knew it. You could have done mm. your research. You could have, I'm not saying bring the token, but bring a good group amount of you for this. Cause all I know, an all white team deliberated over my case. Like, oh, look at mm. it. The way she moves her hands when she talks, she is a bit, but you know, I'm aggressive. Um, but I spoke to them how I was and I did ask them the way I'm talking to you now, am I aggressive? No, they admitted that. But in the paperwork, the follow-up, They've tried to like gaslight me in a kind of way. Take these accept. If you don't accept these recommendations, then you know we'll have to keep going. And I did say that these are just my recommendations, not my job to find solutions. I want you to come up with your recommendations. Also, I didn't get any. Mm. There was just those, and so okay. And I think they just wanted to bring the case to an end. And when the case was at an end. One month after that, they rang social service or within two weeks, but they kept saying, well, you're not being represented by Race Equality First anymore. It's like, well, it doesn't matter. I represent myself. Um, mm. And now at Race Equality First are representing me again because this is a new case. This is a second hate incident. Um, yeah, it's just a mess. Gosh, yeah, that that truly, truly is a mess. And I mean, just perhaps, I mean, you're you're an educator and like, you know, just to sort of zoom back from this and do a bit of reflection, um, what would be your advice to schools in general to be more inclusive and to be able to be safe spaces for people of color who have children than those schools? Like, what do you think would be the ideal safe environment uh, for uh, a child of color in, you know, in a certain school? Um, well, teachers like that, 
simply do not have any business teaching our children. If you cannot apologize for your wrongs, you cannot teach my child. If you have these attitudes, you cannot educate my child. And if you do not relate to my child's culture or his disabilities, you have no room teaching other children how to act. Just like the bad apples, apples in the police force, you need to get rid of those ignorant educators. That's, that's for one. Two is to bring in experts, like listen to the, the to your students, the, the parents, the complaints that they're raising, they're, they're valid complaints, and actually listen to the experts, not that tick box. Unconscious bias training is not something that you should do once. I feel like that this should be a mandatory thing every and said day uh, or once a month you have a discussion about race because it's not good enough we start having the conversations they need to have the conversations regularly and get used to feeling uncomfortable because we we are used to being uncomfortable walking down the street like defending our welsh identity or our british identity mm. so all i can say is go and find the experts they've got abu Bakr, madam al shabazz is doing amazing unconscious bias training for businesses and companies we've got it's mandatory cac who's doing a lot of things in schools the rooted program the raise program i'm representing iecc which i run is resources specifically to see us in the literature um yeah actually listening to it and this is what i'm kind of mindful of now with this black history has been made compulsory i'm happy about that but does it really go that far enough are we controlling our narrative which time who's controlling our narrative and and what does black history look like is it going to be just rosa parks or are we going to have a real one which is why i'm working on hard on this now the universe the school's duties are to start listening to the experts we have because at the moment they don't answer emails and they're just mm. like we'll oh, just think of our own program no you have not done it right up until now there are experts out there. Go to the intellectuals. Yeah, the privilege and, cafe, great place to be with my Muna. You know these places. There are resources. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And the thing is, I also focus a bit. My entire platform is, you know, focusing on African history, politics, and worldview in general. And I mean, this is something that I've encountered in schools. Like, why does Black history have to be defined specifically by slavery? And even then, when they're teaching slavery, it's like, oh, you're going to water it down to make it seem like, oh, they just got whipped and that was the end of the story, even though we know that there was so much more than that. Why aren't we going to talk about the fancy maiden slave trade and colonialism and how they're pushing notions of colorism, right? Why are we not going to talk about pre-colonial Africa and the fact that there were sophisticated civilizations before colonialism? And this debunks the myth that we needed colonialism to come to a state of, in quote, civilization. So, I mean, these are obviously things, as I said, yeah, we need to, uh, the schools need to definitely, as you said, speak to the experts, right? And these are people who are, have studied in these fields. And you also need to know how to teach these lessons because there's, there's obviously information out there, but obviously unconscious bias plays in how that information is relayed. So even then, when you're teaching about African history, you can be teaching about pre-colonial Africa, but you could be missing out so many details because it doesn't quite sit well with your, your white fragility, you know? So these are, are these are things that need to be done constantly, right? So I mean, definitely, this is one of those things um, I would I would wholeheartedly agree with you on. And in terms of Black history, for those schools that are actually interested in, or if any educators are interested, what sort of books would you recommend? 
Oh, I don't know. They've got a really good, Dave, um, David Augustov has got a really good one. Um, I think it's called, I'm terrible with names, sorry, and titles. I've read another one called Black Tudors, which I really liked, because that was just about the Tudor ages and, you know, some dude playing the trumpet in the Henry VIII's court, like how actually that, at that point, the concept of racism hadn't been constructed. Mm. So, oh, it's downstairs, I don't know the name. But I like my TED Talk binges and my YouTube binges. So I'm often binging. I love a Carla's Talks in Oxford. Abu Bakr has got loads. So I've been on a recent binge in preparation for projects. Um, yeah, just I think YouTube is just amazing. Like just typing in what you have, you might find is a bit limited when it comes to like specific areas, say in Welsh, Welsh history, but we're getting there. But Abu Bakr fills in that gap very well. Um, yeah, I, ju I just I just binge my fans. Um, Akala's got a book. It's called like The Ruins in a Nation. Ah, I'm sorry. Um, but <laughs> okay. Akala's book, The Blue One, it's a fantastic. It is absolutely like I couldn't have written a book. I mean, it was if I'd have had this growing up, it just provided the answers to everything I I questioned myself, particularly one chapter which is titled um, "The Day I Realized My Mum Was White." So I'm like, oh my god, mm. this is the day I realized my mum was white too. Like it's mm. amazing. So, but we do need people to write books. That's why I kind of wrote these books because in Wales we don't have any authors and we don't have any many stories that that are relating to us of people of, of color or whether you're black or you're from India or you're from Pakistan or your story's different and it's Welsh as well. So I want mm. to see more authors come out, more non-white Welsh authors. Mm. Could you tell us a bit more about your books as well, just before we head off? Um, yeah, well, uh, Outstanding was to counteract unconscious bias, which you learn by the time you're three years old. So we see our protagonist dressed as like a judge or, I don't know, an engineer, all these places where girls are underrepresented and also people of colour. And then Your Hair is Your Crown is um, like a magical story about a girl who get whenever her hair gets wet, she goes into a magical land where she meets mm. Aphrodite the mermaid and Dewey the dragon, flies her around. And every time a mum calls her to get her hair brushed and straightened, the magic flies away. Oh, wow. But she realizes then that actually the way to access her magic is by being proud of who she, she is, because magic from all over the world is here in Wales. So to access it, you've got to be proud of who you are. Mm. So it's about Afro hair, but actually, no, if you look into it, it's deeper. If you're wearing hijab, if you're from somewhere really different, if you're in a wheelchair, if your hair is ginger, that's what makes you special. And that's what makes Wales amazing. Because our little voices, our little voices in a as a minorized culture in Great Britain led the way in making black history compulsory, compulsory and we are yeah. leading the way. And we will continue to lead the way now, thanks to a lot, lot of things. Like everything I put my work down to is, is George Floyd. George Floyd made me wear my hair natural, made me join the Race Equality Steering Group, made me write the books. This is an exciting time for our children that they don't even know what's happening. So I'm trying to just not say racism to my kid, but <laughs> I'm mindful that Wales is going to look amazing in 10 years time. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. And yeah, well done on the books as well. And I agree with you. We need more authors and we need more people to just generally be uh, to be reading. 
and uh, this is something that it's it's you know it's you can't get out of it and uh, i think it's unfortunate that even within certain realms or certain topics we have like one author per generation being a leading academic in these fields so i mean i mean guys if i was to recommend books obviously you know capitalism and slavery by eric williams and joseph enicori's book uh industrial revolution africans and the industrial revolution in england and obviously there's robin walker's when we ruled that's another good book recommendation if you're willing to like start out just looking into african history but other than that um i think that's that's going to wrap it up for today but in summary would you like to just say anything in closing jessica um thank you very much for listening to this sort of podcast um always resist if you need to get hold of me you can um support your local people who are fighting racism and um question everything <laughs> thank you so much thank you so much and uh thanks again to everyone who's listening or watching from youtube we will be having more content out in the next following weeks uh but once again thank you so much this has been parianation and we'll see you in the next episode